All right. Praise the Lord. Biblos family, we are glad that you are back with us here this week. It has been a whirlwind week. I just got back from Little Rock, Arkansas, from the North Little Rock International Camp Mating. And I, I, I was part of the speaker lineup and... Um, it has been a whirl, a whirlwind, or or I'd say a tornado. That's the old King James word was whirlwind. It has been a tornado of activity. Got to see great people. Got to fellowship with great people. What a what a blessed time! I, we got to hear so many great preachers, <clears throat> brother Cody Marks, brother Ari Prado, um, Pastor Jesse Galindo, and Pastor Julio May. Um. I believe Brother Stephen Jones spake in the Spanish portion, as well as Brother May and Brother Galindo, Brother Larry Booker, Brother Matt Tuttle. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. I don't mean to, but uh, it was just so good. Oh, Bishop Holmes preached as only he can. And God moved in a mighty and dramatic way. Powerful, powerful outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And it was... <clears throat> It was just a heavenly time, a powerful and anointed visitation of God's presence. Um, and, and just as great was the fellowship with the great people of God. So many dear friends and, and loved ones that are there that we get to spend time with and talk about the things of God. So um, I'm, it's very likely I met many of you there and talked with you there. A lot of Biblos people, bibliophiles came up and we took pictures and we made memories and you guys told me about some of your favorite episodes and you gave me great suggestions. So thank you for that. We love those that are interacting with us. Your questions mean a lot and I'm going to get to some questions tonight. Um, but it's just been great. People were baptized and filled with the Holy ghost. A lot of people were renewed, strengthened, edified. That is what I love. That is like a Jerusalem moment. And that is one of the great conferences we love to be a part of. Um, so anyway, it's been a great week. It's <clears throat> heading into the hot time of year, which is my least favorite time of year. But I endure. I endure. I just continue into the end until the air turns crisp and cool again. And I can finally breathe and get back to my native habitat. <laughs> you know, I lived in Florida for 15 years and pastored there and I lived in Honduras for a year and I am done with hot and humid. Uh, it's okay for a vacation or something, but truth be told, I love cold weather. And so all of my cold weather people, you might be a minority out there, but you are part of the cool group and I stand with you. Hot coffee and sweater weather. That's what it's about. So I had some people ask some questions and I wanted to take a moment and get to them. <clears throat> One of them was along the lines of this. Brother Urshan, you preached a message at camp meeting about the blood of Abel and you referenced that the man might die, but the message will not. 
Could you go a little further into that? I sensed that there was more to the message. <laughs> well, yes, there was more to the message. If you've ever been in one of those services, you know how worshipful, how explosive it can be. And it did take off. The service took off. The Holy Ghost moved. And, you know, to be very forthright with you, I, I prefer this format. I like this format. I like I like what Isaiah said, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as snow. Though they be crimson, they shall be white as wool. I like the reasoning together. And it is over the blood that we can reason. That is where we begin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Um, though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Um, it's the blood that is the catalyst for reason. That's where reasoning begins. That's where we start. That's, that's why Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, because it all starts with the blood. It all starts with redemption. So let's talk. This, this is the format I'm more comfortable in. And so, yes, I preached it and preaching is great. I love preaching, but I love the discussion. I love the reasoning. I love the teaching and the dissemination of the word of God. So yes, I, I did. I did have other, other things to get into. Basically, this was the idea. I think I entitled the message, you might kill the man, but you won't kill the message. And it's from Genesis 4 where um, Cain kills Abel, and when he does, the Bible curses Cain, and, he, and the Lord says, God curses Cain, the Bible records that, and, and the Lord says that your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Well, I didn't even get to the second half of the message. You know, if I have a weakness, it is that sometimes, well, I have many, I'm sorry, I have many weaknesses, just ask my wife. But, um, you know, beyond my inattentiveness to detail and going to bed too early and all of those things that drive her up the wall, um, one of them is that I, I will tend to get too deep into the weeds when I preach so it can bog down a service. So what could be an evangelistic service and a great uh, explosive time, a lot of times I'm going to dive into the details and I'm going to chase rabbits down the trail. And I find that in this setting, I can do that much better. Now, there are great expository preachers. You know, some of the preachers that preach this week with the Tuttle, uh, Brother Cody Marks, great, great expository preachers. My brother Joel Urshan is a great expository preacher and many others are great. Um, I try to do it um, and, and I, I can do it to some degree, but I prefer this format. I like this communicative format. So anyway, I digress. Um, the point being that there will be resistant forces in the earth, Cain. And Cain is a metaphor, a euphemism for false doctrine, false teachers. He's the first form of false doctrine in that he proposes and insists upon and becomes violent about a false worship system. Cain is an example of Antichrist. He's, he's, a, he's a, an example of anti-blood, anti-lamb, if you'll indulge me the use of that word anti-Jesus, the shedding of blood. And so he forces this unnatural form of worship. God does not accept it because it violates his principles. 
And rather than submitting and obeying, Cain murders his brother in rage. That same rage is here today in all false doctrine. Have you ever been talking to somebody about Jesus' name, baptism, and they get unnaturally angry? What are you trying to say? You're telling me, are you, are you saying I'm going to hell? You know, and then they get very, very reactive oftentimes. That's because there are two spirits in this world, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Cain was in that spirit of error. Later on, it says that Cain was of that wicked one. First John says that he was of that wicked one. And it lends itself to the idea that he was a child of the wicked one um, by virtue of the spirit that he was of. Not physically. There is a doctrine called the serpent seed doctrine that um, men tried to say that physically Cain was the devil's child. Uh, but no, it, it means by virtue of the decisions he made and by virtue of the spirit that he allowed himself to be overcome by, he is of that wicked one. It's the spirit of error and there's the anger, there's the rage. That is what will cause a man to kill his brother. And in that is the seed of all Cain's that would come. This, These are the men and women who formed the religious institutions that martyred Christians. If you take the, the fratricide, the, the murder of a brother, Cain kills Abel, and blow it up writ large, then you will see later the Inquisition by the Catholic Church, the Protestant Reformation, and the burning of the, at the stake of, of oneness apostolics. That is the same thing. It's just a larger scale. It's, it's a bigger a schema, but it is still one being enraged that they are being resisted when they are superimposing a non-scriptural teaching. And then the greatest example of this is Jesus Christ. As the Sanhedrin rose up against him, there is no greater example of Cain and, and Abel than Jesus and his brethren. You know, you see it in Joseph and his brethren. Um, you see it in Jesus and his brethren. And here, here they are speaking truth. And I would submit to you that there will be a, a adversarial force in the earth, whether it's Babylon, whether it is Egypt, whether it is whatever force it is, religious, sociopolitical, it comes against God's people. A lot, most of the scriptural material that we read is antagonistic. Our greatest stories are antagonistic. Jonah deals with the Assyrians, the Ninevites. Um, Daniel deals with Nebuchadnezzar, as do the three Hebrew children. There's your fiery furnace. It's an adversarial story. Moses comes out of Egypt. It's Pharaoh. And then it's the surrounding tribes as they overcome the opposing forces. You know, when God speaks to Cain, he says that sin lieth at the door. It crouches at the door like a like a beast, it's almost feline, the image there in Genesis 4. It's this crouching animal that's poised, muscles tensed, ready to pounce, grab. And that's what sin does. That's what sin did with Cain. It pounced upon him. It overcame him. Murder overcame him, and he slew his brother. Daniel and the Medes and the Persians. The, the, the Persian princes that trapped um, Darius 
And then he's thrown into the lion's den, even though the king did not want that. So these adversarial dynamics, these great overcoming narratives in the scripture that we love and we teach our children, David and Goliath, David and Saul, David and the lion and the bear, there's this force pushing back against the people of God and the people of God have to come against it. And sometimes they triumph, sometimes it kills them. You know, Jesus triumphs for a period of time and then as was stated by the scriptures, he gave his life, the ultimate example of the brother dying. Um, John the Baptist fights that system, fights that false religious system. It is enraged and eventually Herod kills him because he stands up to the political authority of that day. Herod and Herodias, Herodias asks for his head on the platter. John the Baptist dies. Sometimes it kills the man. It certainly did with Cain. It certainly did with John the Baptist. It did with Jesus. It did with every apostle. They were martyred. They, they gave their lives. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute and afflicted. So that force, that you see it in Cain, you see it played out through scriptures, and you will face that force in your life. So I'm just recapping kind of what I preached and what I wanted to get to. There was actually a whole lot more to it. And maybe I can just give it a more full treatment here. You'll face it. You'll face it in your church. You'll face it in people that mock you for how you dress and the, the uh, convictions that you hold. You'll face it because you speak in tongues. You will face this because you dress modestly, because women do not cut their hair, men do cut their hair. You will you will you will face ridicule and opposition. <clears throat> and you know, I, I reference a few of these things just in, in the preaching, the course of the preaching. Abraham dealt with his Abimelech, Hannah dealt with her Penina, um, Sarah had her Hagar, um, on and on and on it goes. Isaiah had his Hazel. There's, there's these people in scripture, you know, Nehemiah has his Sanballat and Tobiah. So over and over and over, you see the resisting forces and it's resisting the message of God. Remember, this is not a book about any of these people. It's not, even though it's called the book of Daniel, it's not about Daniel. It's about God. And Daniel is his ambassador. The, every Bible story is a story about God and it's his message to the earth. And the book of Job is not about Job. It's about God and how Job represents him. I know that sounds strange because we want to think of it as being about Job, but Job is not the central character. God is the central character. Um, and this is true of Jonah. It is not about a man and a boat and a whale. It is about God and his message to Nineveh and to the Assyrians and Jonah and the whale are, are the extracurricular dynamics as how, how it unfolds. It's, it's the medium through which God's message unfolds in that day. And we love the stories, but you can't have the overcoming if you're not willing to go through the adversity as you represent God in the earth, literally represent to re presence, to presence again, to, to, to stand in the stead of. 
So God always wanted a man to stand in his stead. That's why uh, Psalms chapter 2 says that the, the kings of this earth uh, and, and the wicked, the heathen, why do the heathen rage? The people imagine a vain thing. They take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Every generation will have an anointed. So here in Durham, Bishop Goder had people who resisted him and forces that resisted him, and he fought and he prevailed. Now I am here in Durham, and those forces and other forces come against me. I will fight them, and by God's grace, I will prevail. And you, where you are. Uh, so whether it's the Sanhedrin, whether it's the Assyrians and Babylonians, whether it's um, you know, Elijah has Ahab and Jezebel. He has the prophets of the groves and the prophets of Baal. Or whether it's Cain. Whatever that murderous dynamic that comes to snuff out and silence the voice and the message of God in the earth. The Bible says that the kings of the earth, they take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. So if you are anointed by God, you are the man, you are the woman who is standing in the gap and making up the head. You are the Abraham of your family. You are the representative of your city. You will face this. So David says, the zeal of thine house hath consumed me and the reproaches of them that reproached thee have fallen upon me. In other words, they hate me for your sake. I'm telling them your words and they hate me for it. Living for God and representing God on the earth is not for the faint of heart. It's often why people compromise. It's why people give in. It's why people find loopholes to to try to find an easier way. But I love this apostolic message. I love this old path. And I love living it in this world. And I'm, I'm glad to be following that path with you, dear Biblos listeners. So, so Cain kills Abel. He murders him. And his blood cries from the ground. The message will not die, though the man can. So you can marginalize the message. You can attack the message. You can subvert. You can pollute the message. This was Ahab and Jezebel's great sin, is that, that they corrupted the message with Baal worship. Later on in the book of Revelation, you know, it talks about suffering that woman, Jezebel, to preach. And when you see the Revelation 17 woman, she's drunk with the blood of the saints, and she's mystery in Babylon. That Jezebel... Um, archetype is seen where just like ancient Jezebel killed and murdered and polluted and corrupted and seduced. So does this false religious institution that would arise at the end of days. And it's like Jezebel. So the Bible calls her Jezebel. But that force is at work against God's people and you can marginalize it, fight it, corrupt it, etc., etc and sometimes even kill. But the message will endure. Heaven and earth shall pass away. My words shall not pass away. The word of God is going to come to pass. And so love it, treasure it, dive into it. Give yourself wholly unto it. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. And it doesn't matter if they look sideways at you. It doesn't matter if they laugh at you and mock you. You are in good company if 
if they do. Stand up strong for the word of God. That, so this is the idea. Now, that I, I wanted to address, first of all, the pressure that comes on people. The pressure that came on Abel. If you don't stop this, I will attack you. I will come against you. And that can take a lot of forms. It can be people just making fun of you. They can, they can laugh at you. They can shun you. A lot of people, when they come to God, um, I've seen them turn on family members because they go to that church, that holy rolling church, that, that the people that dress different. <laughs> Some people think we're like a halfway point between evangelicals and Amish. <laughs> we are not. We are neither. We are apostolic. And we believe in holiness and modesty. Um, holiness inside and outside. And, and you don't back away from that. You don't shrink from that. I know, you know, when I was younger, there were kids who would leave the home dressed like an apostolic. When they would get to school, they would change clothes. They would dress in a worldly fashion. And then when they would come back home, they would put their church modest clothes back on and come back home so their parents wouldn't know they were trying to fit in and assimilate into society. It's so sad to me um, that people allow that to happen. Um, and anymore, with the public education system like it is, the pressure to conform. Now, we're not talking about sensuality anymore. We're not even talking about um, just what would classically be termed sin, but it is abominable the things that are being promoted and and many people are looking to private education homeschooling because of the the chaos that's being pushed into american society the force that comes against god's people is is growing louder it is raising the volume and it's getting into governments it's getting into the school system it's um it's it's a very interesting time I don't have any sad stories to tell because at the same time, we are winning souls hand over fist. People, as, as the darkness gets more stark, the light shines ever more brighter. So now's the time to preach. Now's the time to believe God. Now's the time to read the Bible fervently and understand what it's, it's beautiful message. Pray in the spirit, be filled with the Holy Ghost, and you will shine brightly in the darkness. Well, you know, when you get to the book of Hebrews, the Bible actually, and I, I didn't get to this in my message, but when you get to the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks and it speaks better things than Abel. Abel's blood cried out for justice. It cried out for um, redemption and, and for things to be made upright from the from the injustice that had been done. I pointed out in the message how blood works and, and even down to the forensic level. I gave the story of the Golden State Killer, how that for years he had gone undetected. They would gather evidence. They could not, they couldn't solve the cases and it, it turned out the man had a law enforcement background and was able to evade detection because he knew the methods. He knew what not to do and what, what evidence not to leave behind. And, but as forensic technology grew and we knew how to handle blood and bodily fluids, 
they, they carefully preserved it, knowing probably that one day our law enforcement techniques would increase to the point where we could utilize technologies maybe that didn't exist then. And that's exactly what happened. So DNO, DNA and genomic um, study advanced to the point where they were able to track the man through DNA databases. They, they found a relative of his that had submitted a, a DNA sample and they were able to find someone that matched that profile. They were able to get DNA from, uh, I believe it was just trash if I remember right, and they were able to make a positive identification. What a technology. And literally the blood cried from the ground. How many voices of victims cried out when they put those those blood samples underneath the microscope and they look down and with science and forensic awareness, they were able to hear the cries of people who had been murdered and abused over the years. Voices that had been mute, voices that had been locked in a stuffy box. Now those voices cried out from that microscope slide and men could decipher their silent language, their DNA genomic language, and blood cried out. And I gave the illustration of abortion. How many, how many lives have been lost through abortion? How many missionaries? How many preachers? How many pastors? How many Bible study teachers? How many world changers? How many Isaac Newtons and how many um, Edmund Hillary's and, and, and how many Thomas Jefferson's have been killed? How many great leaders have been killed? And does their blood cry out? I believe that it does. And you know, when you read that b- the blood cried out, thy, thy, thy brother Abel's blood cries to me from the ground in Hebrew, it doesn't say blood singular. It says bloods. His, the, his bloods cry from the ground. And the idea is that it is a chorus of voices. He didn't just kill Cain. He killed Cain's line, his, his whole projected line. You know, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek while he was yet in the loins of Abraham. There are generations that are in a person, and when you kill a person and silence the person, you are silencing the, the preceding generations that would come forth from, from their life. So that blood cries to God. God hears that. And so just like God hears those spiritual things, there is a message that goes out into the world that when, when you're dealing with the blood, when you get to the book of Hebrews, the blood of Jesus cries out better things. Abel's blood says, I have been wronged. Abel's blood cries out for justice. Abel's blood is the voice of those that have been lost. But Jesus has better blood and Jesus has a better covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel that is found in Hebrews 11 and 12 those that blood speaks that you are redeemed and you are healed and you are set free blood has a voice and it will cry out for you it has a message and and i'm thankful for the blood of jesus the blood of the lamb that was painted over the doorposts of of the children of israel when they left egypt it had a voice when when the death angel came to come into the home of the hebrews that blood said you cannot come in here the price has already been paid. The wages of sin is death. And as such, the, paid, the, the wage has already been paid. 
paid in full. The debt has been paid. You do not have authority over this house. Pass over this house. And he went on to the Egyptian homes and took the firstborn. But the blood of the lamb spoke, and it spoke loudly in that spirit world. Well, Jesus is the lamb. He is the lamb of God, and his blood speaks. And I want that blood over my life when I stand before God. And when, when my record would seemingly say, I'm guilty, I have lied, I have fallen short, I have failed uh, in, in, my, in my attempt to be righteous, there is another blood that says he is redeemed, he has been set free, he is my son. That blood, that innocent blood, that knew no sin, that knew no failure, that always said it right, always did it right, always made the right decision, that blood covers my life. And now when Satan comes to take me, that it he must pass over me. It's a whole new Passover, a better Passover from a better lamb and better blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. Woo, I feel my preach coming on here in the studio. I didn't even get to this in the message. This was the best part of the message and people started shouting and I had already preached an hour and I didn't want to wear everybody out. That message goes to all the earth. And when you stand up for that message, you can be marginalized, mocked. There's an old verse in an old song that says, I'm going through, I'm going through, I'll pay the price, whatever others do. I'll take the way with the Lord's despised few. I like that phrase, the Lord's despised few. I started out with Jesus and I'm going through. I'm very willing to take my spot, my place next to those that have suffered. And so <clears throat> people say, doesn't it bother you that, that you're not accepted or that people look sideways at you? No, it doesn't. Uh, when I started my church in Fort Myers, when I started the church in Roatan, it didn't bother me at all. Um, you get past it. You move past the exclusions and the, the shunning of, of this world. And you look to Jesus and, and there's your strength. There's your solace. There is your comfort. And when you find a brother or sister that's walking that same narrow path as you are, treasure them, love them and walk arm in arm. My mind goes to great blood bought people that walked that path. I, my mind goes to the N.A. Urshans and the, the James Kilgores and the J.T. Pews. Um, it goes to the, the heroes that I, I grew up watching uh, preach and, and love God. The, the Foss family the Haney family, great people, um, the Holmes family, uh, the Wilson family, people that I love and, and treasure, the Booker family, dear friends, the Godair family, um, people that just love God. And I love to link arms with great men and great women, even though we do not enjoy the acclaim and the broad path. Abel did not walk the broad path. He walked the narrow path. And as such, <clears throat> there was forces that, that came against him. And he paid the ultimate price. Now watch this. Every person will come to that point where they have to give their life. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says, Sell all that you have, come and follow me. And he goes away sorrowful because he had much good. Jesus told the disciples one day, 
that no man having left mother, father, husband, wife, um, wife, children, I guess it was what it said, houses, lands, and follow me, to follow me, will receive, they will receive much more in this life and the life that is to come. So there were people who had left all to follow him. And they said that, Lord, we have left all and we follow you. I can remember leaving my UPCI blue blood connections and going to a city where no one knew who I was. I did not use my family's connections and it was scary. It was intimidating, but it was also liberating. I found out that I could win souls. I could build a church based on support from people who love me and an organic approach to ministry. And I didn't, I didn't have to rely on someone else's experience. That was a big deal to me. And I think people would find it very liberating to find out that God will work for you. He will work for you. If you will give your life to him, God will show up in a way that will, it'll blow your mind. It will absolutely revolutionize you. When I found out I could win souls and I could build a church, it changed everything. Every person became a candidate for salvation. I began to feel the Holy Ghost move in my life in a way I never knew it could. And the message began to just burn in my heart like fire, shut up in my bones. And I began to proclaim it. I began to speak it. I began to, I could feel the Holy Ghost moving. And eventually, well, I'll never forget this. One day <clears throat> I was sitting with a young preacher and we were sitting in first watch eating breakfast. And, and I first watch was like my unofficial office is <laughs> I would go in there multiple times in a week and I'd have breakfast and I would read scripture. I loved and still love first watch. There's like five first watches here in Raleigh, Durham, and I love it. And I was sitting there with this young preacher talking to him about the scripture, talking about the message. And a waitress came up and put a very large sum of money on the table and said, I have watched you now for over a year. And every time I walk by your table, I can feel the Holy Ghost come upon me. And she said, I love what I feel. I feel like I need to come to your church, and here's my tithing. <laughs> I looked at that preacher, that young minister, and he looked at me bug-eyed, and I was a little bug-eyed myself. And I felt like the Lord told me, I have given the city into your hand. It was such an element of grace that had been extended by God, and it came because of contending for the message. So Jesus said, you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So there is your antagonism. There is the, those are the forces that are arrayed against us. And yes, you can die for it. And I remember many times when you put your life on the line, I remember feeling that pressure. <clears throat> Still do at times. Now it's more sophisticated now. But I think that if people would give their lives, I think if people would get up out of their comfort zones, I think if young men and young women would grab a handful of tracks, go to the streets, if they would get on, use social media for what it's good for and that is connecting with people and they would teach people. 
I think they would find that God would work for them in a dramatic way. I think we would make inroads and we would impact our cities to a degree that we currently aren't. So for everybody listening to me right now, if you have ever felt like God had more and you didn't know how to tap into it, just make up your mind to go. Go find somebody that's hungry for the things of God. What I'll do, and these are just some tips, some just some little odds and ends that I will utilize. When I'm talking to somebody and I sense hunger in the person, I will just say to them, hey, would you ever be willing to just sit down and talk about the good things of God with me? I can tell that you have a, a faith. I'd like to talk about the things of God. I enjoy talking about eternity. I like to talk about the rapture or the resurrection. I like to talk about one God. I like to talk about Pentecost and speaking in tongues. I'll just say things like that. And and rather than say, hey, I'd like to give you a Bible study. Can I give you a Bible study? Instead of saying it so starkly, I will, I will introduce it as a conversation. And that's Isaiah. Come and let us reason together. That's a Bible study. But it doesn't have to be so scary or so formidable. And this is the message. This is the giving forth of the word of God. Right now, um, each week, I probably have 20, 25 people in home Bible study, brand new people that are learning of God. And, and I'm pastoring a church full time. I, I work nationally. I travel. I preach. And I have a family. And I mow grass. And I, <laughs> I live life. But teaching those Bible studies is one of the greatest treasures of my life because that's the message. And you'll face persecution for it. Just That's why the writer of Hebrews said, gird up your loins. It said, lift up the hands which hang down, strengthen the feeble knees. It's time to, it's time to fight. It's time to proclaim. You know, when the Bible says to proclaim his word, <clears throat> to declare his word, it doesn't mean it in the sense of somebody standing behind a pulpit and declaring but it means more along the lines of a town crier or what the old King James would call a herald. It was like someone that would walk in front of the king and say, hear ye, hear ye, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight, the king is coming. So when I, when I declare and when I proclaim, I'm walking in front of the king and he is coming behind me and I am telling them, prepare the way of the Lord. The King is here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. I'm the, I'm the town herald. And I am proclaiming that message. And if they kill me before he gets there, the message won't die. The message will go on. And the blood will cry from the ground. And God will have a people. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost when I say that. I feel that that's everybody's job. Let's proclaim the king is coming. And he's coming for his people. So that is a very long answer to a very short question. I wanted to get into all of that. And I got into half of it. I hope that helps. I hope that helps you. I hope it's a blessing. I hope that you find the joy in proclaiming and heralding the Lord's arrival. People are looking for him. Why do you think people like Superman? Why do you think they like Batman and 
the flash and Mer- uh, who's Aquaman, I guess it is. I'm getting Merman and Aquaman. I'm getting my He-Man and my superheroes mixed up. <laughs> I was a He-Man guy when I was a kid. Um, people want those heroes because they are looking for a savior. And they are popular because they want one who will come and deliver them. Who will avenge the adversary. Avenge you from the adversary. Who will, who will set at right that which is wrong. Who will overcome all evil and, and conquer it and bring peace to the earth. The world has its Marvel and its DC universe, but the scripture is where the, where the real hero is. And he's got a message, and it's never going to die. So... Take it, run with it, teach somebody a Bible study, dig into the Word of God, love the Word of God, pursue it with all of your heart, and let it keep you. So until next time, God bless you, God keep you, God cause His face to shine upon you.